Making time to talk can be scary, especially if you're the strong friend, the helper, the one who never expresses any emotion. I've had counselling at different stages of my life and bearing your soul to a stranger can be nerve-wracking. Today I'm talking to my business coach who I've been working with for the last 12 months, um, Helen Campbell of Coaching by Helen. Last year I felt completely overwhelmed by all of my ongoing commitments. I'd taken on far too much and I had zero boundaries with my clients. I put out a cry for help on the Being Freelance Facebook group and that's where I met Helen. She's changed my life and the way I run my business, but Helen, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thanks, Harvey. Um, So I'm Helen Campbell and I coach creative people. And most of my clients work for themselves. So I'm so lucky. I've got people like actors, writers, painters, TV presenters, PR experts. And um, I was always the kid helping others at school, you know, like tie their shoelaces or... uh, Um, If somebody was crying in the corner, I was always the one to go over and ask if they were okay. So I think that was probably embedded in my personality from when I was four years old. And um, I started coaching as a volunteer with a charity. And I was doing that alongside my my PR career. and, And I really got the appetite for it. And so after 20 years working in publicity and communications, I'm now a full time coach. And um, it was really lovely to hear you say about the impact that coaching has had on you. And uh, I feel very humbled by that. And and it's really lovely to hear what an impact it's had. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely had a a, a fantastic impact on everything I do and the way I run my business. That's really interesting to hear because I guess that coaching isn't something that you decide you want to do when you're younger you don't kind of see yourself as being able to help other people it kind of comes from other stuff that you've done in your life I think that's so true I I definitely didn't know that coaching was even a career when I was um in school and at university but um I was always the, the one that people would come and tell their problems to And that got me in all sorts of situations, as you can imagine, being the person that people uh, wanted to to open up to. And I did a little bit of coaching training for this charity I was volunteering for called Teach First. And I was working in um, one day a week. I was working in a large Internet company at the time and uh, as as a PR consultant. And one of the directors there sort of got this idea that I, I would be a good person to um, help solve a, a problem that they had. And so they explained that one of their staff just kept coming in late every day and didn't really seem to like their job very much. And for some reason, even though I was the kind of one day a week PR consultant, they decided this was something that I would be able to help out with. And so I, I got allocated this task of trying to find out what was at the bottom of this um, this problem uh, that, that this guy was coming in late every day consistently. And one day it was, you know, it was, oh, it was raining or the bus was late or whatever. It was a different excuse every day. So um, I, I sat down with, with this person and uh, I, I agreed to, to meet with them every week if they would meet me for breakfast half an hour before work began. So that was my, my sneaky idea. There's, uh, there's different ways of, of um, encouraging people to do things that, that they want to form good habits around and making it easy for them and an 
providing an incentive is one of them. So uh, the breakfast was the incentive. But anyway, we started meeting every week and talking about whether um, there was anything we could do about the lateness. And this guy actually confided in me that he didn't really like his job very much and he wanted to work for himself and that he wasn't really fulfilling his potential. So he handed in his notice. Now, bearing in mind at this stage, I'm not a coach. I've done very little coaching training, which at that point in my career, which was through a charity. Um, and I was mainly a PR consultant. I was absolutely terrified. I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? You know, I've lost one of their best employees for them. And I had to go and confess to my client. I'm really sorry. I've messed this up. You asked me to find out why this person was late every day. And, and they're a they're about to hand in their notice. I don't know what to do. And they said, I'm really, really glad that you got to the bottom of it and that they're going to be happy. And we could have gone on for years with them not enjoying their job. And you obviously asked the right questions. And so I was reassured, but also really amazed at um, sort of how powerful even just the most basic coaching and listening could be. And I think I got the bug for it then, even though I think I was lucky that they responded so positively because I'm not sure everybody would have liked the outcome of losing one of their, their key employees in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I think that for some people, um, just having someone to talk to and, and listen to their problems mm. is a massive deal because lots of people don't have that. So you probably encourage them to actually confess that they weren't happy with the job as most people do just kind of deal with it and just carry on absolutely I think part of coaching is uh, what I say is to ask the unaskable questions so actually um some of the conversations that we have in coaching, and you'll be aware of this because we have some, some wild conversations, um, some of the conversations that I have with my clients, you just would not have those chats normally. Um, we talk about topics and I ask things that are not part of the normal flow, particularly if you think about being traditionally British, you know, as, as so many of us are, we're very polite to each other. And um, we often don't say what's really on our minds. And coaching is this wonderful space to really explore what, what we're truly thinking and not feel the need to be polite or say what we, we think we ought to say. And I think that some people might be put off talking to a coach or therapist because they'll think that their problems aren't that big. I know that when I look back on where I was last October to where I am now, I honestly don't know how I was coping. Do you think that there's still kind of a, a stigma or ignorance around the idea of coaching or therapy? And what's what's the difference between the two? Because I, I mentioned earlier that I'd had counselling before, but obviously business coaching that I do with you is very different mm. to the counselling. I think you're right, Harvey. I think uh, there is still a stigma around talking about ourselves, about our feelings, whether that's to a therapist um, who might deal with issues around trauma, for example, or be a client might be referred by a doctor to, to um, a therapist, or even for coaching, which is much more about creating forward momentum, creating plans and good habits and so on. A lot of us were raised with sayings that might have come from our parents or at school or, or uh, another member of our family, like don't air your dirty laundry in public, or maybe we were discouraged from showing our feelings. 
And that can stay with us. Whatever we were uh, told as a child, it can stay with us for our whole lives. So we might have been brought up to keep our feelings to ourselves, and that might still ring true today. But actually, they've got to go somewhere, those feelings. And so if they don't come out, if we don't speak about them, or we don't journal about them, or, or some other way of expressing them, they're still inside us, and they come out in other ways through anxiety, through stress, through feeling overwhelmed. And the people that come to me for coaching, there's almost two, two kinds of, of clients. So there's the ones that are really, really busy and successful and are struggling to navigate this by themselves. They're looking for balance. And um, there's also people who are maybe struggling for fulfillment. So you've got the very, the very busy people who the money's coming in and they've got lots of clients, but they're feeling overwhelmed and they don't have that kind of perspective. And at the other end of the scale, I have people coming to me who maybe can't get clients or don't have the self-confidence to put themselves forward. And then somewhere in between that, there's, there's combinations of, the, of those two things. Obviously, I'm not a therapist and I don't work with serious trauma, but some of the themes and topics that come up in coaching and in therapy might be similar. So for example, themes around money, confidence, relationships, self-worth, uh, good habits, bad habits, um, getting organized, planning. And the big one that I find is self-motivation. And that could be somebody who literally doesn't have the motivation to, to do their job. Or at the other end, it could be someone who's so motivated in their job that they're not motivated around self-care. So they are not exercising or not getting outdoors or not eating healthily. And I never tell people what to do. Well, <laughs> I try not to because um, coaching isn't about telling people what to do. But people know what it is that nurtures them and they'll come to me for some support to get, to get back on track and to, to uh, be kinder to themselves really at the end of the day and to find that balance. And I, I like with with your coaching that you give actions to take away mm. from each session because I found that if I didn't have that, then I kind of just think, oh, yeah, what we spoke about there was really good, but whether I'd do anything about it would be a different story altogether. So I, I liked having those actions because that, helped me to keep on track and make sure that I achieved what we'd spoken about as well I know you just mentioned that you don't like to tell people what to do but for me I'm like who enjoys being being told so you must do this or I think you should do that <laughs> yeah you, your actions were kind of like a, a middle ground between that so I thought well if I don't do this then it's silly having another session so it was it was nice in that way what's nice about coaching is that the actions always come from the client so um, it's not like when you're in school and the teacher tells you what to do yeah. but um, people will tell me as, as you know um, what they want to achieve and what they want to do and I can provide that accountability then yeah it's a it's a partnership in that way <clears throat> we're both on the same journey I'm, I'm there as a cheerleader on the journey with you and many people, including myself for a while, might not realise that coaching can help through everyday life challenges and feelings because we all go through tough times. And when you're living life day by day, you tend to deal with 
the bad days or problems, then move on. But through coaching, um, I've learned that more about why certain bad days feel worse or why I react to things in the way that I do um, or how I can alter my mindset to make myself feel better. And you mentioned earlier, a lot of it comes from childhood and Mm. how important is it that we make that time to talk? It's interesting because making time to talk or I was also thinking about making time to write because some people like to write about their Yeah. I just think it's incredibly valuable because it's a way of almost, it's a way of processing things. It's a way of telling ourselves what we think about things. So for example, I have a journaling ritual, but I also have a coach and I have a therapist. So I make time to talk, but I make time to write as well. And for me, it's a way of expressing and exploring my feelings. And the other thing that I think that's really important as well as making time to talk is making time to think. And that can be so valuable. And it might sound funny saying make time to think, but so many people come to me and they say they're struggling with a big strategic problem, for example. And I ask them, I'll ask them what time, you know, they've set aside to sit and think it through. And they kind of look at me funny because what's happening is the problem itself, it's popping up in our heads. You know, a bit like a diary reminder on the computer where the problem just keeps going, give me attention, give me attention. So we think that we're working the problem through, but all we're doing is kind of popping that diary reminder back down and going, oh, think about it another day. And so we're worrying about it and we're feeling anxious about it. But actually, I think what we often forget to do is to allocate some time. So you literally put an hour in our diary saying, I'm going to sit and think about that problem. And I'm going to think about all the options um, around what I could do about it. And I'm going to think about it from different angles. And it's nice often to do that with somebody else who hasn't got a vested interest in the solution to the problem, but can be supportive and sit with us while we think it through. And that's part of of what coaching is. I think there's an emphasis, especially in a lot of workplaces. I mean, most of my clients work for themselves, but a lot of us are on day rates or hourly rates with our clients. And so there's an emphasis on action and doing. And it can be hard to go and say, oh, I was actually thinking about that thing rather than I was doing that thing. And I think most a lot of workplace meetings prioritize actions and solutions, but they might not prioritize literally sitting and thinking through a problem or sitting and talking through a problem. And the kind of stuff that I deal with might be how to create a culture in the workplace or identifying your values and being true to those values or just thinking something through that went wrong, you know, like really delving into it, into that awkward space. I sit in that awkward space with my clients. Yeah. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? What can we learn from it? But without blame, we're not we're not pointing the finger, but we want to find out what what lessons we can learn from stuff that that really didn't go as planned. And that can feel awkward. And so I'm kind of like a partner there in that awkward space, sort of sitting with somebody down in that uncomfortable space and working through everything. And um, I've got to say, I quite like being in the awkward space with people uh, because that's where the good work gets done. So I find it really motivating. You mentioned rituals and making time for things. Uh, What are your top self-care tips for people who might be listening to this? Oh, I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people talk about self-care. We all know in our hearts what it is that that nurtures us. And um, so 
you might read an article in a magazine or hear someone in a podcast like this saying, oh, what, what you need to do is meditation or what you need to do is yoga or, or whatever it is. But actually, we all have different things that nurture us. And tuning into those and making those part of our rituals and habits are going to, it's going to be a lot more powerful than simply um, adopting somebody else's habits. So, for example, um, I, I think we talked about this before, that I went on a yoga and surfing holiday and I thought this surfing was going to be incredibly good for me and I know a lot of people like it. I hated surfing. I absolutely hated it. You know, I can see the benefit if you have that aptitude and you can get out there on the waves and you're in a beautiful, I mean, I was in a beautiful country. I was in Sri Lanka and it was absolutely dreamy, but I found the surfing physically uncomfortable. I wear contact lenses and I was worried the whole time that they were going to float away. I was not relaxed. I was having all sorts of panic attacks. <laughs> and it was, you know, people talk about surfing to switch off. I was literally experiencing the most anxiety I've ever felt in my life when I was out on that surfboard. Yeah. And so for me, that was just a great example of what one person does to practice self-care and to nurture themselves can be the complete opposite of what someone else enjoys. And so I went to the surfing school and I said, guys, um, I've heard there's a cookery class available. And they said, yeah, yeah, there is. Um, can I join the cookery class? So I gave up surfing <laughs> after about four days. I don't think I'll ever get back on a surfboard. And uh, I started cooking and I continued doing the yoga and, uh, and I had a lovely, lovely week. <laughs> and I learned how to make some really, really good, good dal. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a funny example because I, I, was, I was such a, a wipeout to use that phrase. Finding out what nourishes you, making time for that practice and repeating it every day if possible. That's my best self-care tip. Yeah, we, we spoke a lot about um, things that I don't make time for, mm. but should. And now, a year later, in my calendar, I put every little thing. So even if it's just to go to the gym or see a friend, or I put everything in there because then it, it means I've got to do it because mm. the time's already blocked out then. I love before that. I, yeah, before I'd be like, well, it's not in my calendar and I've not got time for it, so I'll just put it off and not do it. So, And I wasn't getting any time away from work, so that that really helped me. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned things that you've tried that other people love and mm. don't work for you. Meditation was one of those for me. I tried so many different apps and I just thought sitting in a dark room I was just thinking about everything that I should be forgetting rather than actually doing the meditating so that was uh, like a no-go for me. I love that you tried them though it says so much about you as a person that you tried different apps because other people might say oh, it's not for me without actually experiencing it. And you're coming from this position of experience, which is so great. And I think I'm I'm similar to you in that way. I got up on that surfboard or I tried to uh, several days running, morning and night, and, and I'll give everything a good go before I decide that it's not for me. So that's another kind of, I think another self-care tip is to try things 
and see what what suits you and maybe avoid making assumptions of, of what's going to work and what's not. And I think that's always fun when we surprise ourselves by finding a new pastime or a new way of, uh, of soothing ourselves. Yeah, it really is. And I think when everyone comes to you with their problems, it must be hard for you to switch off. Is there anything that you do to kind of take yourself away from all of that? Mm, that's such a good question because uh, you can imagine what my brain might be like if I had all my clients' problems and challenges going around in it the whole yeah. time. And uh, when I first started coaching, it was very much the case. I would just think about my clients constantly. And although I do uh, often think very positive thoughts about my clients um, in the week, then um, I'm not uh, caught up in it. I've learned different techniques to separate myself from as, as we say in coaching what's mine and what's theirs so not taking on other people's stuff is not just a great tip in coaching but in any client work is to really be objective about what's their stuff and what's our stuff or if we're triggered by something because someone's got a similar problem to ourselves maybe journal about that so I've mentioned journaling that's a really good habit for me I have a coach and a therapist so that I have those confidential environments to talk about things that might be on my mind. And I also do supervision. So, you know, there's, a, there's some hardcore support in place for me there. But in terms of uh, switching off, I love to swim. Um, I'm not brilliant at it. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why it's great for me, because I have to concentrate so hard on staying afloat and breathing that I can't think about anything else when I'm swimming. And uh, where I live in Hayon Wai, we have a beautiful river, obviously. The clues in the name were on the Wai. So in the summer, everyone goes down to the river. And swimming in the river is one of my favorite things in the entire world. And it's so beautiful. And then when it's not quite so hot, I'm not one of these cold water swimmers, I'm afraid. I'm a, I'm a fair weather swimmer. No. So there's a, there's a little, <laughs> not that brave. So there's a little pool uh, which just accommodates two people. And I go swimming every week with my friend Anne and she's amazing. And, and afterwards we'll maybe have a cup of tea or a glass of wine and, and talk about everything. So we have that combination of the, the swimming and also having a good friend to, to just have a natter and a laugh with. And, and she's wonderful. So yes, that's, yeah. my, that's my favorite thing to do to, to switch off is to swim, preferably with Anne. Ah, <laughs> that's lovely. And I think that it's important for you to get that time away as well mm. and I think it's so easy for us to relax but just in front of another screen especially mm. at the moment yes it's nice that you can do something that's actually away from technology altogether yes that's right and she is uh, I live uh, by myself and so does she so uh, we're, we're in each other's support bubbles <laughs> which is which yeah. is nice and uh, thinking about that screen time I've just started watching that uh Netflix uh, docudrama, The Social Dilemma, I think it's called. Yeah, um, and uh, oh my word, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to change my habits for sure. Um, you mentioned kind of making time to to do things for self care, but mm. I know lots of us have been working from home, particularly since lockdown. Have you got any advice for anyone who feels? kind of lonely working from home if it's something that they're not used to 
everything this year has been so challenging with uh, with COVID and this isolation and using our screens for everything, using our screens for social time, using our screens for work, it's become really difficult to create separation for ourselves. And uh, I think with loneliness, the first stage, and this is, I think this is the hardest part, is acknowledging and telling people that you're feeling lonely. It's really, really hard, especially, I think, for people like us who we run businesses, we spend a lot of time putting out there this um, very professional brand which is around having the answers to everything, being sorted, being capable, smiling on all the Instagram photos. So for someone like me or you to go out and say, actually, today I'm feeling really lonely, that in itself can be a stigma. But I think when you do, so I've got a couple of friends who I check in with every week. We almost take it in turns. One day I might be feeling great and uh, one of my mates might not be, you know, feeling so motivated. Other weeks it's the opposite. And being honest with your closest friends and your family about how you're feeling. I think almost the problem with loneliness is admitting in the first place that we're lonely. If we are brave enough to admit it, then people can help us. But it's going to be really hard to admit it when you're feeling in that dark place. So I think opening the conversation for our friends and our family to be able to talk about loneliness and stopping it from being a taboo is something that we can all work towards and and checking in on each other as often as possible. Um, I also think being outside in nature, I mean, it's it's maybe a bit of a cliche answer, but I live in a beautiful place and I go for a walk every day, sometimes on my own and with others um, at other times. And even if I go for a walk by myself, I'll almost always bump into someone. Could be someone I know, it could be another walker who says hello, it could be, you know, a random stranger who stops for a, a socially distanced conversation. But um, getting out in nature every day is it's a really healthy part of routine. And I think just tuning into what's going on for you and being as honest about it as possible definitely help as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that because I work on my own and, and being online as well, sometimes there are days where mm. I don't even speak to anyone on the phone. So like you said, going mm. for a walk really. And also just checking in with other friends who are in similar situations because that regular contact is so important. Emails and text communication is just not the same at all. I agree. I think um, a lot of us hide behind our screens, particularly if we are feeling lonely. The temptation is probably to do the opposite of uh, what is healthiest for us. So we naturally might hide away when we're feeling lonely and of course being able to do the opposite is going to nurture us so getting past that pain point of actually saying guys I'm not feeling great today can you help me that's that's really gonna um, bring that support that we need definitely and I think that um, social media can make people very anxious mm. I know that I've got a very active mind and I know that for people who do it can sometimes worsen their anxieties so do you think it's important to kind of limit our screen time each day and also try not to focus too much on what other people are doing when we're checking social media I think both of those things can be healthy. And the first step 
is to acknowledge where we are at with it and to be honest with ourselves. And that's really hard because I think a lot of us tell ourselves stories about how we think we use social media, how much time we think we're on it. And I believe, I've never used one of them, but I believe that there's apps that can track how long we are actually using our screens. And so I would almost say the first step, if you're worried about your screen time, is to do a bit of an audit and see where you're at with it and then work out what it is that you want to change. I wouldn't turn it into a positive thing. So, for example, for me, I'd like to limit my screen time in order to get better sleep at night. So I've started leaving my phone outside of the bedroom and I've got one of these natural daylight lamps so that in the morning I get woken up by this uh, daylight bulb and and birdsong rather than the bleep of my phone. And um, I'm trying to be quite disciplined about this practice and then reflect on whether it has improved my sleep. And I think if I'm honest... I know it has. I know it's improved my sleep. But of course, the temptation is to let it creep back in there. So maybe connecting the problem of screen time with something else. Like, so for me, it's getting better sleep. For somebody else, it might be to pursue a hobby or a pastime. So it might be, oh, I want to use my phone less so I have more time to be in the garden or pursue a particular um, sport, for example. I think that turns it into a positive rather than simply looking at, oh, I want to do less of something that I actually enjoy to turn it around and say, I want to do more. I want to do more of something else. And um, the phone or the laptop is stealing my time and I want to get some of that time back and, uh, and and look at it that way. It can, it can be a very positive uh, habit change, behavioral change. Absolutely. And I think that when I started coaching with you last year, I didn't feel like I was in control of mm. any aspect of my business. Do you feel like um, for freelancers who do feel like they're losing control and sight of what's important, do you have any tips for them? For getting back in control and getting some perspective? Mm, yeah. yeah. So... um The work we do, that's quite deep work, actually, and I love it. So I do a lot of work around values, and uh, I know it's something we've talked about. So I may spend a whole session or maybe even more than one session on this with a client where we look at what's actually important to us, what needs to be in place in order for us to be able to thrive. And then we look at where those values are not being met or where those things are not in place. And often that helps us to provide some perspective and uh, and focus and, and really work out what's truly important to us as, as human beings. Um, some of the questions on my coaching form, it might sound a bit macabre, but one of the questions is, how would you like to be remembered? It's almost like a, a way of sh- shaking people awake. If you've been lost in a cycle of, just trying to work harder or trying to make more money or trying to please your clients, please your boss. And you've lost perspective of what you truly want and where you are in the process. Asking somebody how they'd like to be remembered is a very, very powerful question. And it goes into all sorts of areas that maybe most of us don't want to talk about, but I I do, as I say, I ask the unaskable questions. And so that's the space that we work in in coaching every day. Yeah, and that really helps me to kind of think about those things because when you said initially you were going to send over a questionnaire, I thought, oh, it'll only take me like five minutes. 
but actually I spent ages on it because it's not very often that you get asked those sorts mm. of questions and it does make you really think and consider things like like you said how you want to be remembered and then yes. we spoke recently about how since my lifestyle has changed I feel more present mm. when I'm spending time outside of work with friends and family and that was something that I never even realized was happening that I didn't feel like I was ever fully switched off from work or present in what I was doing and it's only now reflecting on all the work we've done that I realize things like that and until you actually stop and think about it you just it's not something you consider is it really? No I think that's so true it's often looking back and seeing how things were when we're in the middle of it then um, it can be really hard to understand what's not quite working for us because habits are, are just those they're, they're things that we do without thinking and it's auto, habits are automatic behavior and um, they're really really hard to break and that's something that I've become increasingly fascinated by is how to notice habits that we want to break and how to create new positive habits and I've I've been reading a lot around this recently and I, I think um, the danger of uh, going back to social media, and and I know that's that's your particular area of expertise as well, is all of the apps that we use are created to try and make them habitual, um, to try and make us addicted. And the creators of them are, are fairly honest about that now, I think. Um, and that's quite scary. And so being able to feel in control when these um, things are designed to create addictions around us is a challenge that we're almost in a in an era where we've got more distractions and more our, our time is divided into into tinier and tinier little chunks and trying to get any of it back for ourselves is is a huge challenge and so I guess that's where I come in I'm kind of a, that's one thing that I support people with is trying to claw back some of that time for ourselves and to take ownership and to take control of, of our own routines. And it's, yeah, it's definitely worked for me anyway. <laughs> so everyone has issues and it doesn't mean that their problems might not be valid or real. If any freelancers and creatives are listening to this and they'd like to book a taster session with you, where can we find out more about you? Uh, thank you for asking that. So um, you're absolutely right. I do. I always offer taster sessions because I think one of the things about working with a coach is you basically need to gel together. And I might be perfectly the right coach for one person and not for someone else. So you have a taster session to see if you enjoy it. And um, that's completely free, of course. So my website is coachingbyhelen.com. And as well as the one-to-one -one coaching, I'm also running some coaching groups. So we've got around, I haven't done the math, but we've got around 100 days between now and, and uh, the end of the year. And that's a lovely amount of time to be able to make some huge changes for people who've got the appetite to do that. And so I'm running coaching groups between now and the end of 2020. And it's, it's a really nice option because we were talking about loneliness and, and all those kind of things. And being in a coaching group, you can get momentum from others. Uh, you can do a bit of networking with the other people in the group and we can all work together and, and support you towards your goals. So 
that's what I'm really excited about at the moment as well. Oh, the coaching groups sound great. So are you talking about things like accountability and other topics as well? Absolutely. Accountability and staying on track is something that so many of my clients struggle with because we'll have a great session, I'll send the follow-up notes, a few weeks will pass and we'll come back and say, oh, actually staying on track was the hardest thing. And we'll, we'll get there eventually, but having a few more cheerleaders on board in a group can uh, speed up that process. So I think we can we can achieve some really powerful changes between now and Christmas in those coaching groups. I'm super excited about it. That's great. And thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Helen. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks ever so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, Harvey. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of The Social Sanctuary. I don't know about you, but I found that conversation with Helen really fascinating and inspiring too. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Give us a follow on Instagram at The Social Sanctuary Podcast. And if you'd like to listen back on previous episodes, you can do so by visiting thesocialsanctuary.co.uk. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode. Thanks again for listening and have a lovely day or evening.